You're listening to Family Petals, a podcast about people questioning the status quo and living life a little bit differently. I'm your host, Sarah Copper. From a box fits to the bus, families are finding ways to push back against the car-centric norms of our culture and instead embrace active and alternative forms of transportation. When I first found out I was pregnant nearly six years ago, I searched for stories of other car-free families. While I found some, I wished I'd been able to find more. I hope that this podcast can contribute to that conversation and connect and inspire families interested in biking, walking, car sharing, and transit so we can all learn from each other. In this first episode, I interview my husband, Neil. I thought this would give listeners some insight into our family, how we became car-free, and how we get around with two young children. Neil, thanks for joining me on the very first episode of the show. Thank you. I wanted to have you on first to give listeners a little bit of background on our life and how we came to be a car-free family. Let's start by introducing ourselves. I'm Neil. I live in Bloomington, Indiana, and I'm a civil engineer. And I'm Sarah, and I am a stay-at-home parent to our two children, HP, who is four and a half, and E, who is two. And I have another podcast with my friend Abby called Friendlier. So Neil, we've been car-free since 2009, but our move towards active transportation started before that. Why don't you talk about how you started biking for transportation? Well, I actually started biking for transportation inspired by you. So it builds a little bit off of your story, I think. I didn't bike much for transportation until the end of uh, my undergraduate studies. And I think you were already biking for transportation, and I kind of saw that. And I had also been learning a lot more at that time about environmental issues. And so when I saw it, it just kind of it clicked and it, it connected in my mind. And I started riding a bike for transportation as well. So I was the one who started biking for transportation first. But I would say that for me, it was a really slow evolution over several years. And the original light bulb moment happened not because I felt any great moral conviction about biking for transportation, but because I broke my arm and was unable to drive my car. So that happened at the end of my freshman year of college. And instead of asking people for rides, I decided I'll just walk places. The main one being Walmart, which is where everybody went for everything while we were in college. Walmart is directly next to our college property. Maybe a block away. (laughs) Yeah. And it is, you have to go across the street and across the field. It was probably from dorms, would you say half a mile? Yeah, if that. Yeah, it was very close. But until I broke my arm, I drove my car there every time I needed to go or rode with somebody else who was driving their car, which seems crazy to me now looking back on it. But it really did take me being unable to drive a car to realize that there was another option besides getting in my car. So I walked the whole time my arm was in a cast and just realized how enjoyable that was. It was nicer to be walking than it was to be in my car looking for parking. And honestly, it took the same amount of time when you factor in getting to your car, parking, getting out, walking to the front doors. So that summer, I was inspired by my newfound realization that there were other options besides cars. And 
bought my first bike as an adult and started biking all around my hometown. I biked to and from work and biked to and from an ultimate summer league and to visit friends. I still drove my car, but I was incorporating biking into my daily life at that point. And then I studied abroad in Switzerland a couple years later, where the hierarchy there really is pedestrians first, cyclists second, cars third. I loved that. It was another revelation for me to live in a place where so many people were getting around without a car, and it was very normal and easy to do so. Then I came back to the States in our very car-friendly communities, but still tried to incorporate some biking and walking, especially to get around our college town. The year after I graduated, I lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, and some things I could walk and bike to, but my job was not one of those places. And then that's the summer that you got into biking. So I had been doing it off and on at that point for about four years, but hadn't was still getting my car almost every day to get to work. And then you just got a bike and started biking everywhere. Why don't you tell some of the stories about your experiences biking in Little Rock? Yeah. So shortly before I got my first bike as an adult, and I started trying to ride pretty much everywhere, I a few times rode back and forth between Conway and Little Rock, which is probably close to 30 miles one way. And then within Little Rock, I so that summer I was volunteering with Habitat for Humanity. Wherever they were working on a house, is that's where you had to show up and meet them in the morning. And so I was just biking around to these various places in Little Rock and working with them for a while and then biking back home. But sometimes, you know, it'd be raining in the morning and I'd go for a it would be 10 miles to get to the house they were working on, and I would just figure out a route. Yeah. So at this point, I had not even really considered the possibility of living without a car at all. I think we were both interested in biking for transportation and liked doing that, but I was still in a place where I couldn't conceive of completely abandoning a motor vehicle. Yeah. I mean, we still used it for all the inconvenient trips, really. And as I said before, it was something that I started, but that Neil just really ran with. It would not have occurred to me to bike to his parents' house in Conway while we still had a vehicle at our disposal. It just isn't something I would have done if you hadn't suggested it first. Well, I think it was also a little bit easier for me to have that impetus because I was borrowing cars. I was either borrowing my parents' car to come visit you, or I was borrowing your car to go the other way which is very similar to how I felt when I broke my arm. It's not that somebody wouldn't have lent me a car. There were plenty of people that would give me a ride or go with me someplace, but I didn't want to have to ask. I would rather just do it myself. It's also indicative of the freedom that you get with some of the different choices. What do you mean by that? Well, you're not reliant on someone else for transportation. You can do it all by yourself. You can, you know, you don't have to work around somebody else's schedule. That's true. Up to that point, we were living in communities where we could do some active transportation, but the infrastructure was really not set up to support it. Then we went to graduate school in Corvallis, Oregon, which I consider to be a cyclist paradise. Yeah, it was just every busy street had a bicycle lane or there was some sort of alternate bicycle path, sidewalks pretty much everywhere. If you were standing waiting across the street, 
they would stop and let you cross. Not that that was universally true, but very much more so than at least the place that I grew up. It really reminded me of my time in Switzerland, where when we were walking downtown and we would approach an intersection, cars would stop for us. That did not happen in Conway, Arkansas. Corvallis is also much more dense than Conway was. It was a similar population, but much smaller geographically. So in Corvallis, we lived in an apartment complex right next to campus. So we always walked or biked to campus. Our grocery store was less than a mile away. Downtown was less than a mile away. Almost anything I can think of was within a couple of miles. Easily. So after we had been there for not very long, we found that we were not using our car. It got to the point where every few weeks I would think we had better drive the car somewhere or else it's going to start to die. Would you say that first semester there is when you started thinking about living car-free or did that come later? You know, I don't exactly remember when, when that idea came up. I remember that at some point we took your car in for maintenance or repairs or something and they were telling us about all the upcoming maintenance we needed to expect because the car was getting older and we were going to end up spending this extra money on it, but we didn't have to do it yet. And somehow we started talking about whether we should just sell the car if we weren't using it and didn't really need it and someone else might be willing to make those repairs, but we weren't sure that we were. And I remember that coming really close to when we sold the car, because we took it in right before I left the country for six months. I was doing an internship in West Africa, and I had been the primary driver of the car still, that I think you almost never used it unless we were going out of town to go hiking in the mountains. But I had two knee surgeries that first year we were in Oregon and really needed the car to get places. And That summer then, after I'd had my second surgery and I was getting ready to leave the country, it came down to you were going to be the one solely responsible for the car. And I think I didn't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. I didn't want to have to, if it needed repairs, and I didn't want to have to take care of insurance and just, it seemed like a lot of responsibility and it seemed annoying. So I thought, yeah, that was probably why I was pushing to sell it. And then when we went in and did the regular maintenance and found out that there were a lot of things coming down the pike. And what they told us then was nothing needs to happen now, but within the next year, there are going to be some pretty major issues that need to be dealt with. And at that point, the car was a 1992 Honda Accord. So we were talking of selling it in 2009. So it was 17 years old. It had over 200,000 miles on it. So that car wasn't going to last us for another five, 10 years. Like it was approaching the end of its life. Not without a lot of work anyway. Right. That it was going to start becoming, it was going to enter its more expensive years, I guess we could say. Yeah. I mean, the person we sold it to was a mechanic, so it might be great for him if he's willing to do the repairs himself, but we weren't. Yeah. So it felt like the opportune moment to sell it with me getting ready to leave and you didn't want to deal with it and knowing that that car was going to cost us a lot of money and trying to weigh how much is it worth it for the times that we do want to get out of town and go hiking, for example, wouldn't it be cheaper just to rent a car instead of being responsible for maintaining a vehicle? And it turns out it's significantly cheaper. And at the time, I knew that we were living in an active transportation mecca in many ways. 
that we'd both had experiences living in places that were not as ideal for walking and biking. And we knew that our time in Corvallis was ending since we were going to finish grad school the next spring. I know when I talked to family, one of their questions was, well, what are you going to do when you move someplace? Because we didn't know where we were going to end up. And maybe we were going to end up in one of the places that is just not great to live without a car. Do you remember your thoughts on that at the time? I think in my mind, once we made the switch, I immediately became reluctant to ever go back. I don't think I told anyone, oh, I'm never going to own a car again, or, or I'm not going to own a car in the next place I live. But I was very interested in trying and at least waiting to see where we ended up and whether we really needed one. And I think for me, I took a lot of comfort and still do in the fact that nothing is forever. And it really felt like the right time to sell our car, just all of the factors we've already talked about coming together at that moment. I wonder if we would have sold the car if I hadn't been about to leave the country for six months. And maybe we would have later. I just, I don't know that we would have made all the same choices without. No, I mean, we might have ended up keeping it. We, if it hadn't needed repairs and if you weren't going out of the country, yeah. then I wouldn't have been as uninterested in keeping up with the car. And we might have kept it and thought, oh, well, this would be a good way to move somewhere else because we moved to Oregon in that car. Yeah. But I think I just looked at it as it was 100% the right decision to sell it when we did, and we could always buy another car in the future if we needed to. It was going to save us hassle and money in the meantime, getting rid of it then. I think that's been my attitude, as we'll talk about later, with a lot of, a lot of the life changes that we've had and the moves that we had, is, well, let's try it, and we'll see how it goes, and we can always make adjustments if we need to. So when we were chatting about this episode last night, you had mentioned to me that you think there was a period where we made our lives harder than we needed to. I think we were doing things the hard way for a while. What exactly do you mean by that? Maybe I can describe what would be an easy way first, and that would be using your bicycle for the short trips, the easy, convenient trips when it's nice weather. But we started using bicycles for every trip getting anything in all weather, and we didn't really have the gear to do it. So when we needed potting soil for your garden, we put on large backpacks and rode to the store and put 50-pound bags in the backpack and you know rode back to your garden with them. And when we still had your car, we would have made that kind of trip with your car and then used our bikes for the majority of the trips and occasionally used your car. But instead, we were just doing everything. That would have been easier if we just had a bike trailer to put it in. Yeah. All we had were regular bicycles. We didn't have anything special. My primary bicycle couldn't even accommodate a bicycle rack on the back of it, so I was just wearing a backpack everywhere I went to get things. I did eventually buy a a cheap mountain bike that I could put a rack and a basket on the back, and so then when I was going to the grocery store, I could at least put things in the basket and wear a backpack and not be carrying bags on my handlebars or something, or I was actually tying bags to my backpack. I forgot about that. I think we started to make things easier on ourselves with different equipment. One of our friends fixed up an old burly little kid trailer as a gift to us when we told them that you were pregnant. And really, that turned around my life immediately in terms of getting groceries. 
before there was ever a kid in there, it was amazing to go to the grocery store pulling that instead of wearing that big backpack. Kind of a a light bulb moment. Oh, there's easier ways to do this. Yes. And I think part of the reason why we, I wouldn't say that we were resistant to other things, but some of the stuff that we'll get into later, it's much more of a financial investment and that we were at a point in our lives where we were trying to do things in the cheapest way possible and make our money go as far as we could. And now it's easy for us to see how much we're saving by not having a car. And, you know, it wouldn't bother me to spend $1,000 on a bicycle because I know that's a fraction of what I would be spending if we even owned a car already and just year to year costs of it. But then we just weren't really looking at it that way then. Yeah. And even if you look at it that way, if you don't have the $1,000 to put towards it at that time, you just don't have the $1,000 to put towards it. Let's move on to being a car-free family and how we're making that work. And let's start by talking about how we made that work when we just had HP to start, because our situation and the way we're making it work has changed as our family has grown. So we didn't start biking with HP until he was around 11 months old. And that is when a helmet would fit on his head and where he had really good head control. And we felt like he had the, the strength to sit for a long period of time. Yeah, I think, you know, we had done a bit of searching online and found a number of places that recommended if it's in an upright seat that you wait until at least nine months. Is that what you remember? I remember nine to 12 months. Okay. And we bought the smallest helmet that we could find and it just didn't fit him until 11 months. And you did the research on what kind of seat we were going to get. Yeah. Do you remember how we decided on front seat versus back seat? Was that me or was that? No, I think that was you. I think you did the research on it because I didn't want that on my plate and that you were interested in researching it. So I I think just through my research, I had decided that front seat would be ideal because then they're right there between your arms and you can talk to them and point at things and you know exactly what they're doing and you see if they drop something. I was looking up all the different kinds and really trying to find, you know, if I'm going to buy one of these, I want to buy the best one and the one that works the best. So we ended up with a Yet Mini front seat, and it did not, I knew that it was not going to work with the bicycle that I had at the time, the road bike that I had been riding, and I was interested in getting a different bike anyway. So I started looking for a new bike at the same time as the bike seat, so I was trying to find one that would work well with the seat that was upright enough and so that I wouldn't have the seat digging into my chest while I was riding. And that was the problem with the bike that I had, too. Most American bikes have you leaning forward over the handlebars as opposed to the more European style of being very upright. And that upright style is what really accommodates the front seat well. I was wanting to switch to more of a commuter style bike that was just more comfortable to ride. You know, a road bike is built for speed, and that was not something I was interested in. I wanted to be comfortable as I rode around town. So I found a bike that worked with the front seat And I loved it. I have so many fond memories of biking around with him as he was learning words and just seeing the sights of Austin together and chatting with him in a way that just isn't possible if you have a kid either in a trailer or even on the back seat. It's much more challenging. Yeah, he would point out the buses as they went by and the trucks and point to dogs on the sidewalk and just anything. And you could point with him and see what he was looking at. Felt very interactive. And now that I have ridden with both a front seat and a back seat, 
I can really say that it's also so much easier to ride with a front seat, that the center of gravity doesn't feel as high, or at least it feels easier to control the bike. For me, riding with a back seat and having a kid there, I think is, it's just more of an adjustment where it felt really easy once I had the right bike to have him in the front. I agree with that, but I think part of that is just because front seats don't accommodate as heavy of a child. Yeah. When we were using the front seats, they were much smaller, and then as they got bigger, they went into the back seat, which, very true, it is higher, but it's also, they were heavier. That's fair. So with HP, the only equipment we really had was that front seat. We had the trailer that I used a few times when it was really cold or when it was raining, but if given the option, I always use the front seat. And then we use the trailer for groceries and anything else that we needed to haul. Then I got pregnant with E, and we realized that while we thought that we had been prioritizing location when we bought our house, we had not prioritized it enough. And the first 11 months before HP was on a bike, he and I rode the bus a lot, and it was fine. But I knew that I didn't want to do that juggling two kids' different schedules. Having to be reliant on the bus was doable, but it was challenging, and it did limit my options for getting out of the house, because the only thing in walkable distance in our neighborhood was the park, which we frequented on an almost daily basis, but we also wanted to go to the library and meet up with friends and go to the children's museum, and I knew that we were going to be back to that phase of having to walk everywhere that we went or take the bus. This was largely a burden on you more than me because I was working during the day. Right. You were the one taking care of the kids and in the house and making those trips more. The burden of the transportation did fall more to me as you were biking to work the same way you did before kids. You were doing that after kids where how I was getting around drastically changed when I had to accommodate another human being. Right. So I really pushed for us to move to a rental that was much closer where I would be able to walk to almost everything that I needed and be closer to a lot of the friends that we had. And I think I was resistant at first because we had we were finishing up all of our major house projects and just getting the house how we wanted it. And just the fact that we'd bought this house, you know, I wanted to live there. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it was a discussion of it's it's a burden on you and it's not something that I'm feeling and it really doesn't matter too much to me which house we're in. Right. And I'm so glad we moved. I 100% think it was the right choice. And I think we learned a lot from that experience about how important location is. Of course, we were still valuing where we lived before and we're trying to choose locations where we could walk and bike, but we picked a house that was really on the edge of what we considered a reasonable biking distance to the things we went to on a regular basis. Yeah, when we were buying the house, we kind of had a radius picked out, and we stayed within that that zone. We just drew that zone too big. So once E was on the scene, for the first stretch, it was back to walking. I would wear her in some kind of carrier, and then HP would be in the stroller. And taking the bus on occasion, but at that point we were close enough that I really could walk to almost anything that I wanted to do. Starting that spring, so she wasn't yet ready to bike, but starting that spring we started talking about how we were going to make biking work with both kids. Because HP was already outgrowing the front seat and 
we knew we were going to need a different setup. And I think once again, I had you do the research on what was going to be the best option. Yeah, we definitely wanted something where one of us could carry both kids. So I started researching different bike options, and there's there are many different options for transporting multiple kids. And I eventually landed on what's often called a long tail bike, which is basically a bike with a extended rear. It's got a big platform on the back. So you can either sit kids directly on it or t- attach a bicycle seat to it. So we picked a long tail bicycle that could accommodate the front seat that we already had and liked and could accommodate the rear seat of the similar brand that we were getting so we could move either of those seats between all of our bikes. And then once E was old enough, we could put her on the front seat and HP on the back seat on the same bike and still have some leftover room to go to the grocery store or wherever we were going carrying diaper bags or whatever we needed. So the bike we decided to get is called the Yuba Mundo. Another brand is the Extra Cycle, and those were the two that we test rode. So once we got the Yuba Mundo, we started using that instead of a trailer for getting groceries, and that felt really revolutionary to me. Because one thing that I have really enjoyed about the long tail is it feels so similar to riding a regular bike that you can haul a whole lot of stuff, but that there isn't as big of an adjustment period to get used to riding a larger bike the way that when I've test ridden Bachfitz models where it has the box in the front, I've found that 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 takes a lot more getting used to. It's definitely a heavier bicycle, but it's not so extreme. Like you're saying, it does handle very similarly. So I think it's fun to ride around just wherever I'm going, partly because, you know, I like to pick things up off the side of the road when I see them. And so if I'm going along and see a chair, it's real easy to just toss it on the back and take it home. Right. So that was working for us. Then we ended up leaving Austin and moving to Bloomington, Indiana, where we currently live. One thing that is both good and bad about Austin is that it's very warm there. So We were both over the summers by the time we left, but it made it a very tolerable winter to get through, where here in Indiana, there really are four seasons, and being on the back of a long tail in the winter wasn't going to work for our kids. So I started researching then what else we could get, and it felt a little silly to me at that point to get another cargo bike because we had just invested in one, but we ended up getting the Madsen, which is often called the bucket bike, and we did order the canopy that can go with it to protect them from the wind and the rain. Unfortunately, the canopy didn't come in for another nine months after we had ordered it, so we had to get through our first winter here using the trailer, which was fine. E was not a huge fan of the trailer, so that made it a challenging first winter because she was just over a year and did not love being back there. It worked for us, but it's not my favorite way to get around. And I don't think it was ideal for her when she was quite that little, just the way her helmet pressed up against the back, yeah. the backrest and kind of pushed her forward. I mean, I think she was fine, but I think that was probably part of why she didn't enjoy it as much. Yeah. And she was well over a year, but she just didn't quite get why she had to be back there either. And we had to do preschool pickup and drop off. And she's at the age where she doesn't want to keep on mittens and it's cold. And just trying to deal with all of that was a challenge. But this winter, we did have the canopy, and it's been great. So we do have two cargo bikes, the Mundo and the Madsen. And Neil and I have really different preferences on that. 
that if given the choice, I will always choose to take the Madsen. Given a choice, I will always choose the Mundo. Yeah, so... Well, I shouldn't say always, because if it's raining or if it's really cold, then then I definitely take the Madsen. Right, because then the kids can be protected from the elements. And I still ride the Mundo around a lot, too. For me, I just think that the Madsen is better suited to my frame, that it's a little bit more upright, and I really like that. And it's a little bit too small for me. I think I'm on the, the upper end of the height limit, and I, I find myself sitting on the very back edge of the seat, and it just doesn't quite feel right. Where for me, on the Mundo, I feel a little bit too stretched out. And I think that's just the way you're supposed to feel. I just prefer a really upright feel now that I'm used to it. I don't like to have to lean forward when I'm biking. I think the Madsen is also heavier and a little bit slower, which is why I like the Mundo. It is definitely a very slow bike, which most of the time when I'm biking now, I'm biking with both kids, or at least with one kid. When I do get a chance to ride my regular bicycle, I feel like I am so fast. (laughs) I think I have just become accustomed to being slow, and it feels great when I'm not carrying all that weight. One other thing I'll say about our two cargo bikes that I really like is they both have really stable, beefy kickstands. And so you can set the bike up and HP will climb up all by himself and you can put the kids in and still be working with other things and not worrying about it falling over or something. That is true. So we went from not having any equipment at all to having minimal equipment with one kid to now having two cargo bikes. How do you see our setup changing as the kids get older? We'll sell the front seat because I think we're done with that now. And then once E outgrows the back seat, we'll sell that as well. And then I think we'll sell the Madsen that I don't imagine us keeping the bucket bike for a long time. It's already really heavy and slow. And as they get older and weigh more, it's only going to become more so. Right. We'll probably keep the Mundo, at least Mm -hmm. initially, and we can put two kids on the back of that. But Again, as they get older and heavier, it's going to become less fun to carry them both. But I bet we'll keep that for a while for groceries and things. That even when they outgrow it, we'll use it as a utility vehicle. Right. It's much more versatile. But we're going to have to figure out things like tag-along bicycles that Mm -hmm. where they can sit on it and pedal and it attaches to your bike. And how to transport two kids when they're both bigger. Yeah. And HP is already biking on his own. But he's not going long distances. And he's going very slowly. And he's <laughs> Very slowly. And, <laughs> and we have to be very selective about your route and where you can go. That's right. And so far, I mean, we've biked as far as to go to your work to visit you, which is two miles. He's ridden that. But I'm riding still with the bucket bike, knowing that he might get tired or not want to keep going and that we have the option to put it in the back, put his bike in the bucket bike and him as well. Right. But the biggest changes I see are eventually getting rid of the bucket bike and then obviously getting larger bikes for the kids as they get older and then potentially getting the tag along, which would be a good intermediate when we need to go on longer trips with the kids, having them pull some of their own weight. I'm trying not to be too attached to any of our bicycles and recognizing that our needs are changing. When I bought my primary bicycle now, I bought it specifically to work with the front seat. And there were a lot of other bikes that I was very interested in and had some other benefits, but I didn't buy them because they wouldn't work with the seat. So I don't have immediate plans to change that bike, but it does give me more flexibility now. 
So that's logistically how we make it work. But what do you see as the biggest challenges of living without a car with young children? Well, first, just in general, I guess I would say that the children factor is what introduces the bigger challenges. Mm -hmm. We've gotten around many of those challenges through basically equipment upgrades by having the Madsen with the cover. Um, That helps us get around if it's raining or super cold. I think for me, the biggest challenge was those first months when they were not on a bicycle and that my mobility really was limited by that. And the way that I was able to overcome that was just keeping perspective that it wasn't forever. It was just a year. And then it really did feel like the world opened up to me again when we were able to get the kids on a bike. And we even talked about whether we should buy a car, even if just for the first year of their life. It was really comforting to me to know that was a possibility. And I knew it was something that you didn't want to do, but also that you knew the burden of it was falling to me, not to you. And so I felt like the decision really was in my hands. And even though I never used that option, it gave me a lot of comfort to know that it was there, that if it really ever got too hard, we could buy a car. And I think I kind of looked at it as as a fun challenge almost, that whenever we would see people that we hadn't in a long time, they're always asking, have you bought a car yet? Yeah. People would always say, well, you're going to buy a car when you have kids, right? Mm-hmm. And I would question, why is that always the assumption? And the same thing when we had a second. Oh, well, now that you have two, then you'll really have to. Right. And your perspective really helped me too. You always had a much more positive take to it, where I think I got really stuck in the day-to-day. And the day-to-day was really hard. But that zooming out and thinking of the big picture made it easier. And it was easier the second time, one, because I had that perspective, and two, because we were in a better location. And that makes all the difference. Yeah. So those are some of the challenges of living car-free as a family. But what do you think are some of the biggest benefits? I think one of the big benefits is going to be when they get a little bit older And it's really easy for them to go places on their own. Mm -hmm. Before they're old enough to drive, they'll be able to ride their bike to their friend's house. It gives them a certain amount of independence. Yeah, and it frees up our time from having to take them places, frankly. Right. I think our lifestyle also helps ensure that they'll be very active. So I think that partly related to this, but also just in general, I want to teach my kids to basically to think outside the box and to kind of question societal norms. And I think this is a a big one that we're showing, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Everybody doesn't have to own multiple cars. There just there are other options. That's one of the ones that I have written down as well, is that even if they turn 16 and both want to buy a car, which they can do that if they want to, I think that they'll know that there's another choice and that questioning the status quo Thinking of other ways of doing things and questioning the assumptions is really important. Even if they don't end up wanting to live car-free, even if they love driving everywhere they go, I think they'll still be able to apply that to other aspects of their life. It's kind of fun to think that they will grow up thinking that going bike camping is a normal thing. For me, it really took me breaking my arm to realize that I could walk someplace just because I grew up in a family where we drove where we needed to go. And I know that my kids, they may choose to use a car, but they'll always know that there's another way to do it too. I also think it's just, 
it's a really empowering feeling to get someplace by your own steam. I love getting someplace and knowing that a motor didn't get me there. My body did. And I think that's really powerful. And I hope that our kids find that too when they're able to bike on their own. I've had a lot of fun experiences as a result of not using a car. And I like the idea that they can start having those experiences sooner. They won't have that discovery as late in their lives as I did. So we are car-free, but that does not mean that we never use a car. Do you want to talk about the times where we do use a motor vehicle? Yeah, I think vacations are the big one, Mm -hmm. or most often. So we can just rent a car for a couple days or a week or whatever we need and go pick it up and drive to see our parents or whatever the vacation is and come back and drop the car off and then you're done. Yeah, and so we do spend, I don't want to say a significant amount of money on rental cars, but the trips to visit our parents would be cheaper if we owned a car in the sense that we would only be paying for gas. But it's so much cheaper overall to just be renting and not have to pay, not have to pay for the upkeep or pay for the car itself. And just regular insurance. Though we do buy insurance when we do a rental car for liability. So Right, but we don't have to pay monthly insurance for a car right. that we would be minimally using. It comes out much less to pay for insurance per day the few days that we're using it than it would for an entire year. Right. I think at some point we sat down and calculated, is it going to be cheaper for us to not own a car if we have to rent a car occasionally to go on these trips? And it turns out, yes, it's much cheaper, even if we rent a car many times. And one thing that I love about it, this may not fit quite in with what we're talking about now, but selling the car really took away the option in a good way for me. That I think some people would see that as bad. Like, what do you do in an emergency? It's like, well, we can call an Uber or we can call a cab or... Or we can knock on our next door neighbor's door and borrow their car. Right. For me, when I wake up in the morning and it's a little bit rainy or it's cold, I don't think, oh, am I going to drive today or should I bike? There's just no question. I'm going to bike because that's the only option. And I like not having to think about it and that it's not something that's taking up any mental space for me. There's no temptation there for you. Right. We also use a car or motor vehicle when we're moving. We've moved, what, five times in the last five years? Is that? I think it's eight times in eight years. Oh, even better. (laughs) Those are the two big things are just moving and vacations. And even that, as Neil had mentioned earlier, we try and do some bike camping and doing some things where we could rent a car to go out, but we can also bike there. It limits our range of where we can go. But there's a lot of cool stuff really close by. Yeah, I guess the other time that that we use a car sometimes is if a friend is going somewhere. Mm -hmm. So if a friend is going somewhere and they say, do you want to come with me? I was going to drive here. Sometimes sometimes you take them up on that offer. Right. And I think we try to be a little bit careful about that because it's not something that we can reciprocate. So someone offers to give us a ride somewhere, and especially if they're going there anyway, or they wanted to go with you, then seems totally fine to ride with them and it's enjoyable to ride with them but you don't want that to happen so much that you feel like you're a burden or you're just um taking advantage yeah yeah and to me i also feel very strongly that this is a choice that we made and so i'm not wanting to outsource all of the problems to other people there are some challenges that come with it but i feel a responsibility to address those challenges ourselves 
not saying that we never accept help, but we definitely try and find a way to make it work within our family first. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, a car is a very useful tool for some applications, and it makes sense for some people to have it, and it makes sense to use it sometimes. And for those times, we do use it. But it's not something that that you always need or that you always have to use. In my mind, I like to compare it to a bulldozer. (laughs) A bulldozer is a very useful tool for some things, but I prefer to own a shovel. And if I ever really need to move that much dirt, then I'll pay someone else to do it. Or you probably can't just rent bulldozers. They they may not (laughs) trust me with that. Probably not. I mean, I think our ideal scenario would be sharing a car with multiple families. But there's a lot of logistical challenges in that. And, you know, for now, our situation is working out as is. Yeah. We've talked some about what we hope our kids get from growing up in a car-free family. But let's talk about some of the benefits in general of non-motorized transportation and really what our motivation behind that is. Because I think that varies a little bit between the two of us. I think we touched earlier on financial benefits where AAA says that on average, a single motor vehicle costs a family $9,000 a year. Even if you assume that that's high and you're spending maybe half of that because you have an old car, you don't have maintenance or it's fuel efficient, Even if you assume that you're half of that price and you're doing much better than the average, you're still spending thousands of dollars on a year just to own that car by the time you consider maintenance costs and gas and insurance and the value of that car itself depreciating over time. And even when we consider our costs of renting cars or buying new bicycles and buying cargo bicycles that are much more expensive than just something that you would find at a garage sale, we still come out well ahead financially. That was a big motivation for me when I started biking. I remember calculating how much in gas I was saving with each time I would bike to work instead of driving, which was very minimal. My work was not far away. But at that point in my life, saving those few cents every time that I went was a big motivator. Another benefit that I'm coming to appreciate more now that I'm older is just being more active because of it. Yeah. Growing up, I played lots of different sports and was always very active. And I think I still stay active generally, but a lot of my activity is just getting to and from work or going to and from the grocery store. And it's just a really easy way to make sure that I'm staying active, even if even in the winter or even when I'm not involved in a more organized activity. Yeah, I see it as maintaining a base level of fitness that I've really scaled back on how much I'm working out at the gym right now. I just feel like I have limited time in my life and I'm trying to focus on some other creative projects. And that's been one area where I can get some time back for myself. I feel comfortable doing that knowing that I'm still active on a daily basis. Even if it's not the hardest workout I'm doing, I'm still moving my body. Another big benefit for me is I think there's just a better experience when you're moving by active transportation. If you're not in a car, It's not just that you're going much slower, but it's much easier to observe your surroundings. You can stop and look side to side whenever you want to without worrying about what you're doing with the steering wheel. And you can see so much more. That's something I notice whenever I'm in a car, when we're going back to visit our families, is in a car, your view is literally blocked by the vehicle in so many ways. Just the physical nature of the car keeps you from seeing everything, where when you're on a bike, that isn't there. and 
And so to me, that, that makes it a less stressful experience. Yeah, you can see everything that would be coming. You can also hear things mm -hmm. as opposed to being in the car that kind of cuts off the outside world. In those ways, it feels safer to me to be on a bicycle, which I know is counterintuitive to a lot of people. But I feel like I can be much more aware of my surroundings on a bike than I can be in a car. It's also much more pleasant for your interactions with other people. Mm -hmm. You're much nicer to someone when you can see their face and hear what they're saying and you can wave or just generally acknowledge their existence where in a car, you don't do that. I guess out in the country, people do actually wave to each other when they're driving past, but in a city, you would never do that in a car. Right. I also find not having a car just generally less stressful. Going back to talking about selling our car earlier, I just like not having to deal with maintenance and not worrying that someone's going to back into our car in the parking lot and, and even a little dent in the door is going to end up costing $500 if you want to fix it. You can probably argue that there are different stresses, but to me, it feels better. Feels simpler. Yeah. A big thing for me, and, and this relates to when I got started biking in general, is I just feel better about the decision as being a responsible choice. I know that what we do is a very small drop in a large bucket and doesn't have big impacts throughout the world by any means, but I feel much better not being part of what I see as a problem, and I sleep better at night knowing that. Yeah, and I think it gives, it provides some agency where, as you're saying, we are not reversing the course of global warming by our choices, but it feels like a small step towards contributing to the solution. I would agree with all of yours. I would say that for me, the biggest benefit is just it's more enjoyable. It is more fun for me to be biking, and I prefer it over being in a car. And people often offer me rides places if they're, oh, we live close, we can just pick you up. It's not a burden for me to bike. It's not a trial. I like it. I like exercising. I like experiencing things in that way. I, if given the choice, I will almost always choose to be on my bike or walking over being in a car. So I think a lot of people who aren't used to it, and especially I find when I meet new people, when they find out I don't have a car, they start wanting to offer me rides, which is very kind, and I appreciate the gesture, but I don't see it as a burden. I see it as something fun to do. It's always really interesting to hear people's reactions and just their commentary when, when they learn that you don't have a car. And it, it is very nice when somebody offers a ride, mm -hmm. but it often comes in circumstances where, oh, do you need a ride home? Well, I, I biked here and I'm planning to bike back home and yeah. it's not that far and I'm probably going to beat you there because, it's, <laughs> you know... And it, it doesn't bother me at all because I, I do think it's nice. Yeah, it comes from a great place. Right. Many people offer to give us rides. We've even had somebody offer to give us a car before. It's mm -hmm. just, it's interesting that I think some people are just kind of perplexed or haven't really thought about it before and, and see it as a burden or see them, see it as you know, they want to do us a favor when really this is an act of choice. We could buy a car if we wanted to. We, we just don't want to. If it wasn't fun and if I didn't like it, I I don't think I'd do it. The environmental benefits to me are great, but it's not the reason why why I'm happy to live without a car. It wouldn't have been enough for me, for sure, to get through the hard years when our kids weren't on a bike yet. And it was the other things that were. Let's end the show by having you offer any advice you have for listeners who are curious or interested in getting around without a car. Well, you just have to start. 
and you don't have to start with something hard. You can start with the short, the easy trips, the things that are convenient. You don't have to go all in right away. And any bike will work with that. You don't have to go buy an expensive bike right away when you're first trying things out. One mistake that I made was buying an expensive bike for my first commuting bike. And it worked fine, but it it wasn't what I needed. And I made the same mistake that you did. And I bought a road bike as my first bike, when really what I like is riding the more upright style bikes. I'm not concerned about speed. I'm much more concerned about comfort. And I think that point gets to the idea that biking should be very low entry and there are bikes all over the place. You can find a cheap bike on Craigslist. There's probably one in your neighbor's garage that they wouldn't mind you using. Or garage sales or the side of the road. There are bikes all over the place. And I would say that the same goes for equipment that you use for biking as a family. We have stuff now that is much more specialized, but that was after we had committed and researched and decided exactly what would be right for our family. But if you're just wanting to get started, I would say search on Craigslist for a used bike trailer and give it a go. Yeah, that's probably the easiest way to get started is find a cheap trailer, throw the kids in the back, go for a couple of rides. Yeah. Neil, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who listened to this very first episode of the show. A special thank you to Katie McFarlane of Yady Kate's Paper Cuts for creating the logo and to Audrey Olina for composing the music. In the show notes, I will link to a few articles I have written about how we became car-free as well as a post that details exactly what bikes we ride and what we use each bike for. I would love to hear your feedback and comments about the show. You can find me on Instagram, at Family Pedals, on my website, familypedals.com, or you can email me, familypedals at gmail.com. I would so appreciate if you would take the time to leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps new shows like this one get in front of more listeners. I'll be releasing new episodes of the show every other week on Tuesdays. Next time, Chris Wharton will be joining me to talk about being part of a one-car family in the suburbs of Phoenix, Arizona. I hope you'll join me then.